Oh, I think I have a sneeze. If it comes <laughs> broccoli, out. Say broccoli, well, broccoli, broccoli. Broccoli, broccoli, broccoli. Does that work? It works for me. What? <laughs> Is it supposed to make me sneeze or make it's me not sneeze? It's making you not sneeze. Oh, okay. I can't tell when you just want Ryan to be sounding dumb or not. <laughs> I can't do it. I don't know. Did you make that up or is that a thing? I don't know. Welcome to Divisive Issues, the foul-mouthed, spoiler-filled comic book podcast where two comic book fans and two non-fans talk about controversial or noteworthy comic books. I'm Ryan. I'm Spooky Sly. <laughs> I'm Fucked Up Phil. <laughs> and I'm Deadly Daryl. Oh, so I'm, uh... Ryan. Hi, Ryan. <laughs> Ryan. That's scary <laughs> enough to be me. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's time. We're taking a break from Bleach. Revolting Ryan. Rotting Ryan. There's a lot there. All those are, but those aren't special for October. That's all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's our special October Halloween extravaganza. For the first time ever, we are not talking about Junji Ito, which is pretty sad. Yeah. It feels like for the first time ever, we're not talking about Bleach. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yes. We've always had a Bleach. We've never been a Bleach show. That's what it feels like. Two Bleach fans, two non-Bleach fans. (laughs) (laughs) If if you guys want us to do more Bleach, we can start doing the anime filler after we finish. (laughs) Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, but we're not doing that scary stuff. Okay, we're doing so, a different type of star- scary stuff, right? <laughs> this is an idea that Sly has had forever mm-hmm. that I've always been really excited for, but we've just never done it. So, Sly, do you want to pitch what we're doing? Yeah, so uh, we're doing Tales from the Crypt. Now, some of you might know, like, the 90s TV sh- uh, show. I, uh, Phil mentioned. Uh, yeah. Remembers it. I, for- I, I didn't mention this to you guys when uh, Sly brought it up, but... This was one of the first shows I ever like watched as a kid, and I me too. Th- th- his home video of me, and I would like watch till the Crypt Keeper popped out, and I would run down the hall, and my mom would get a kick out of it. <laughs> and so like each every week, I would watch this Tales from the Crypt, but I don't remember the. I was so young when it came out, yeah, that I don't remember the episode content that much. But I remember the intro, like it like is part of my conscious, like forever consciousness. I-, I remember his spooky face as well. I think this is where my love of puns comes from. Oh, yes. God. When I was reading these, I'm like, these are these are like right, right up Ryan's alley. He's fucking funny. <laughs> these are, this yeah. is a formative uh, thing for us, I guess. It's, it's like yes. all the Crypt Keeper, too. He's primarily the source of puns. Yes. He's so, why I make puns and why my flesh is also rotting off my face, just to be just like him. I mean, we're yes. all dying, so we're all rotting in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're dying one day at a time. Uh, but yeah. uh, So uh, the Tales of the Crypt series is actually a very... A loving tribute to a 1950s comic series. Every episode from that show actually was originally a, a, a comic storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, the original comics uh, were from a, co- a company called e- Entertainment Comics, EC Comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, nowadays, you mean DC Comics? No, no EC. <laughs> EC. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, you they were like Comics. Uh, <laughs> no, and we talk. We talk Image a lot about. Comics. Fuck you. We talk. A, it was talk only a, funny talk. because it one letter and C yes. and DC and EC rhyme. Fuck you. Sorry. Uh, we talk a lot about how in the fifties, uh, basically, um, comics reviewed basically got to see more outrage that like video games and like rock mm-hmm. music got, where everyone's like, this is moral depravity. Uh, let's censor this. And so comics in desperate attempt to prevent themselves from being censored by the government start censoring themselves, and that's the reason why. The comic industry for the longest time was purely superior comics and very yeah. different now superior comics. 
And the reason why that shift happened was because was largely because of companies like EC. Uh, EC like really started pushing other genres. Uh, the thing they're known no, now, like the biggest impact nowadays, would probably be Mad Magazine, because mm-hmm. uh, that was that, that was them too. But they also made horror comics, and near the end of their lifespan, they also started doing like medical dramas, school dramas, and stuff like that. So like, mm-hmm. if that scare didn't happen, like the cliche that comics are just for kids might not have developed. It might have been more like manga where. You have every every possible story could happen in comics, mm. where because you know it's a medium now, mm. like a set thing. But because of that scare, comics became just for kids. You couldn't make superior stories, mm-hmm. and EC basically EC after that change happened, they were like were like fuck comics, and that's why they made Mag Magazine because they're like mm-hmm. we're just be a magazine company from now on and, and tell these goofy stories from now on. Yeah, and like I remember when comic writers would have to like testify in front of Congress about how they were like spoiling the minds of the youth or whatever. They would show pictures of like EC panels with like severed heads and like mm-hmm. worms eating eyes and stuff like real straight up horror pulp. That like we would a lot of like uh, non diehard comic fans think that that stuff didn't exist until like the late eighties, but. It would have. It's the same thing. Like Hollywood had like pre code and post code. Like it's I, I, that idea of like what the medium could have been if it wasn't completely neutered is like fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. And this stuff is pretty terrifying. Like <laughs> I, I was like I, I'm someone who doesn't. I don't enjoy horror stuff that much because I don't. I don't know. I can't. My mind like can't buy like a lot of it. So I don't. I don't feel like the threat of like ghosts usually and stuff like that. Depending on the what kind of horror it is. But these actually creeped me out <laughs> i was like this could ha-, like uh, they, they do some supernatural <laughs> stuff obviously <laughs> but it's like because they put you in the like in the scenario so well where it's like the the, the horrors you're confronted with and the ones at least that we read are like plausible enough that you can imagine mm-hmm. being in that situation it's one of those things where it's like every story is basically real life but there's like one twist one difference that yeah, makes it yeah. like a little bit different so you buy into it because it's this normal story but then there's like one thing where it's like oh this guy has this thing about him right yeah and one thing that i really uh i really love about this like the between the golden age and silver age of comics is you see a lot of creators that go on to become these like these are definitive daredevil people and stuff like that but you see them do these radically different uh, like different styles so like this first issue we're going to be doing shock suspense stories number six from september 1952 but the cover is drawn by wally wood and colored by marie severin and wally wood went on to design the red daredevil costume Mm -hmm. and marie severin was a long long time hulk artist and it's so interesting seeing like them do like more realistic creepy horror stuff when i know them as like campy silver age artists Yeah. yeah and just to clarify this cover shows uh, a KKK gathering, and mm-hmm. the story actually is about. We're not doing that story. We may go back to shock suspense stories, but it actually is about KKK store, uh, KKK gathering, and it's interesting seeing a KKK story in contemporary times, like how they felt about this uh, mm. gang of uh, KKK members running around in the south, un- un- unchecked basically in 1952. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so, but. Uh, we're focusing on a story that fits more into the mold of Tales from the Crypt. It was actually adapted for a show. It is called Dead Right. Sly, were all of these that we're going to be covering yes, adapted? Yes, these are the show? all shows. Okay. I focus mostly on, sh- on oh, shows. Oh, great. Yeah. We, should, we should watch some of these episodes for a Patreon I was thinking episode. about that. I was like, maybe I'll watch these. Because like, I enjoyed this so much. Spoilers. Yeah. And like, wouldn't this be better with more puns? That's what I always say. Uh... <laughs> 
Wouldn't so this be better this... than more bleach? That's why I always say. <laughs> <laughs> so this first story is written by Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein and drawn by Jack Kamen and colored by Marie Severin. I don't know who those other guys are, but I mentioned Marie Severin already. Yes. And uh, we ready to jump in? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So brace yourself for the shocking final twist to this gripping tale of tension. Dead right. A crime suspense story. So the story opens in media res with this woman repulsed by this, like, (laughs) balding, balding chubby, ugly man. (laughs) In shorts. And, like, the art style style reminds me a lot of, like, old-style comic books. She looks like Lois Lane. She does. Oh, my God. And I don't want to, like, shame this guy, but, like, this book is not nice to this man. (laughs) He's ugly. Some people are ugly. It's it's not just that, but, like, throughout this, like, he also smells revolting, too. Like, people cannot stand how he smells. Dude needs a shower. Yeah, everything about this guy is really offensive. And she's just, like, pushing him away, like, ugh, and he's just, like, give me a smooch. And so... It cuts to, now it's the flashback, because that's, you know, in media res. So she is angrily smoking a cigarette and looking at her favorite uh, fortune teller. What's her name? Lady something? Lady Varna. Madame Lady Varna. Varna. Lady, Lady Varna. And uh, Madame Varna. Oh, I'm Fuck. sorry. Madame Varna. And <laughs> I Kathy, said Madame. <laughs> get it right. Get it right. Just I'm saying Madame. I think it's Madame. I like I Madame. Madame. I have an idea. I heard both ways. so she's getting her fortune read and one thing that i'm not going to read all the narration but it is very long but like flowery and like i really like the way the style and this the way that this is written so it's like she sat back and lit a cigarette and the smoke curled up lazily drifting toward the ceiling of the picture st room like so on and so forth the narration takes just to get this idea out of the way the narration plays a huge role in all these stories and it's it's well written yeah it's it's very well written it's like it's like short prose kind of fiction yeah. noir kind yeah. of flash fiction. Yeah. So she's getting her her tea her tea leaves read, and Madame Vorna is like, <laughs> "You work for a living. You're an office clerk, but you don't type very well, do you?" And she's like, "Hey, yeah, you know what's going on." And she's like, "All your life you have desired to marry well, to marry for money, but your chance has never come. So you keep on working and hoping." But today you will lose your job. And she's like, yeah, right. My boss is out of town. You know, my lunch hour is almost up. I should get back to work. But, you know, the boss isn't there. Who cares? And when she gets back to work, her boss boss is there. there. And the clock was wrong in the the tea room. Yeah, so the reason why she's late. uh, She's 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 late because the clock was slow in Madame Eva's house. Uh, Madam so Ava, would... Madam Vorna, Vorna. What, 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 I'm, I'm doing a raving lot of reviews. Madam Ava, Madam Ava. I'm sorry. Uh, this this fortune teller, her house. The clock was bad, so uh, now uh, she gets fired. The, the the waitress gets fired. Uh, not the waitress. Sorry, the, She's the secretary woman, or something. The secretary gets fired because of the well, slow clock. Yeah. And I, I, the thing that I really like about this little thing that we get on like the second page is I'm immediately like, is this lady, like, is this fortune teller like a scammer that she's setting people yes. up to have their things? And like, I really like that it's immediately like, you don't know what's magic and like horrifying, yeah, you know, like what's I part agree. of the horror elements and what's not. Yeah. Cause she could have set up that clock herself to purposely sabotage. But, so the narrator, yeah. the narrator says like, She's been right twice before. So it's like part of the setup is like she's like, yeah. here's the first two times she was right about my fortune. The first time was when she told me I get fired. But 
you think she couldn't have set it up because she says, "How would I know your boss would be back uh, from town?" Like, yeah, yeah, that's that's why. That's it's like a, uh, that's what convinces you a little bit more. Yeah, like, it is. It is not completely convincing. Like she knew her dad would come back to life or something weird like that. It's like yeah. very, very plausible. Yeah, his events, and especially like in fifties comics, I expect like they're like a fortune teller. I just assume that they're like some magic alien or something. Yeah, yeah. And now the second time she was right. Yeah, so she's like, you're still out of a job. Your savings are running low. But wait, don't worry. I see a great deal of money in your life someday and a man. Mm. And oh, I see a job today. So then she gets her job as a waitress. And she's like, yeah. She comes back and she's like, I did get a job. She's like, yes, I see. Carrying food. You're a waitress. It's like, you got to tell me more. Tell me more about that dough and that guy. (laughs) She's like, "Uh, he will not be rich at the time of your marriage. But he will come into money way later. And she's like, fat chance. I'm not marrying any jerk unless he's loaded. But is it love? And she's like, dodges the question. (laughs) And she's like, he'll inherit the money from someone near and dear to him soon after you're married. Wait, I see a large man asking you for a date. And then we see this guy at the... The guy from the the opening page. Yeah. That smelly man. Yeah. Yeah, he's like, how about tomorrow night, cute stuff? You got anything going on? She's like, no, thanks. I'm busy. And she keeps going back to Madame Vorna. And she's like, and, and, like this guy keeps hitting on me. Can you tell me when I'm going to meet my future husband? <laughs> yeah. And I'm so torn on how I feel about the politics of this book. Because she's like, they're really, really mean to him. But he's also like really hitting on his waitress at work. And she's like, no thanks. Yep. I don't know. It's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was the 50s. I guess everyone just hit on waitresses like it was fair game. Hey, yeah, Dame, you're like, just trying to work, but I want a bang. <laughs> Yeah, but then she's just like, this guy was a disgusting fat slob. Tell me more about my future husband. I mean, and she's like, there's there's another story we haven't read that was like that wasn't included in this thing, but like me and Sly have read it, and that was also about like a very rude woman that like just wanted a, a man. A lot of these stories, the, the, the there's like best way to describe them is dark morality tales. Basically, mm. somebody's like uh, greed or selfishness usually becomes their undoing yeah. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I think and, everybody's and, kind of the bad people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And for, but for women, uh, because, you know, the, uh, man's, men are usually violent and stuff like that. Women are usually more... Uh, Vain? You know, conniving, I guess, yeah. in, in stereotypical uh, sense. Like, I just have to say, I find these to be a lot less... Not, Less problematic is not the right word, but like less concerning for me than the like stories from the '60s where it's like all the men are boring, regular, and the women are conniving and like yes. weak and whatever. Having a story where everyone's bad is yeah. fine. Like I'm okay with this. Yes. Yeah. So she's so she's like your your husband will die violently, and that's when the money the inheritance will happen. And no, soon after she, he inherits the money, he'll die. Oh yeah, yeah okay. You get he gets the money and he'll die. So you have to deal with him after he gets rich. So that's that's, yeah. that's so she's up. like, this is the best. I'm gonna be a rich widow. Yeah. yeah. And then she's like, I see the large man again. He's gonna ask you for another date. And he's like, Come on, baby, give me a break. What night ain't you busy? And she's like, I'm busy every <laughs> night. You piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. And then my she, favorite thing she, is as she talks to it's always like intersplices her dialogue with choke because he's just so <laughs> nauseating. <Yeah>. I'm not. <laughs> busy. Yeah, the, the Archie, the Archie choke uh, yep. uh, voice sound effect. Choke. Yeah. She she's like, please, she goes back to the fortune teller. Please forget that horrible fat crumb. Tell me more <laughs> about the guy I'll marry. And she's like, 
I see that you were very rude to this guy. And she's like, he smelled so bad. <laughs> but she's like, guess what? He she, is yeah, the man you He is the one who will inherit the large sum of money soon after you're married. And she's like, oh, no. And she has to sort of weigh the options, like saying, okay, right, maybe I'll date him. But he's so smelly. I'll try to endure it until he dies and he'll get rich. Like, she doesn't say that the he's the one that will inherit the money. It's that the initials of the person inheriting the money are CN. No, that, that happens later. Oh, okay. Yes. First, yeah, we have she to says, we have to keep the it's very important to keep the mystery pacing uh clear for the audience because that's yeah. very important yeah. to the real. It's also like really good. <laughs> yes. So then she's she's like, "Uh, she's been right four times. I guess she does see and I'm reading here the fat slav dying soon after he inherits all that dough violently. Maybe he'll get killed in a car accident <laughs> and if I'm married to him." And then finally she's like, "Fine, I'll go out with you." She goes like, and- "All right." choke yeah yeah that's the stuff daryl was saying mm-hmm. then they go out to the and it, it, it's so it's such a mean thing because like they're on a date and it's like they go to a movie together and he's like it's a good picture and she's like <laughs> they're uh, dancing yeah. and he's like are you having a good <laughs> and then time they dance and, and he's like, like they sat together in the dark kathy retching with each breath she took <laughs> <laughs> Kathy like, was sick. To I'm her also wretching. Brian's <laughs> wretching now too. Yeah, yeah. I'm wretching just thinking about him. That's when she says, "He's like, who? You said it was a lot of dough. He'd inherit how much?" She's like, "I see his initials. His initials CM." And she's like, "Charles Marno. That's right. How much money?" And she's like, "Twenty-five thousand dollars." And this is when I was like, "This is the '50s. That would almost <laughs> pay off my student loans." <laughs> Yeah. Sure, I'll get married to someone that's gonna die to pay off a bit of my student loans. Yeah, and she's like yeah. grilling him. That later it cuts back to there having a lovely walk in the park, and he's like, "I don't have much now, but I got good prospects. Will you marry me?" And she's like, "Before I answer, do you have any family that's rich?" Yeah, and he's like, "Yeah, my my uncle's got a factory. He's worth something, but I wouldn't ask him for anything." And she's like, "That's all right. You won't have to ask him." Yes, I'll marry you. So essentially, they show them together on the beach later, and he's like, yo, smell the fresh air, babe. And she's like, this is the first fresh air I had in days. Oh my gosh, it's so good. He plants his flabby lips upon hers. Mm. Kathy thought of chucking the whole deal, but $25,000 boomed in her brain. 25 Gs. Then she's like, it cuts to them just like lounging around the house. And she's like, have you heard from your uncle, the rich one? He's like, why should I hear from him? He's out west with his family. It's like, family? You didn't tell me he had family. And he's like, what do you care? We're in love. Yeah. And she goes to, uh, like a month later, she goes to the second like, Please tell me, when's he going to die? I got to know. Like, it's driving me crazy living with him. And she says, uh, it's going to come. He's going to inherit the yeah. money soon and then his death. And so then it happened. Kathy stopped at a cafeteria, and as she goes to order coffee, someone yells, hold it, lights! And the lights go off, and they say, young lady, you're the one millionth customer. And if you'll give us your name, she's like, oh, Kathy Marno. Uh, and they say, well, since you're the millionth customer, you get a $25,000 yeah. check. And so she's she's excited. She comes home, and he, the husband is like, Kathy, is that you? And she goes, yes, it's me, you disgusting <laughs> yeah. pig, you fat slob. I won the $25,000. And he starts crying, yeah. and she's just yelling at him. Yeah, like, he's like, like he's fucking... like, what do you mean? And she's like, the Madame Vorna was wrong. And he's like, I don't know what you're Get talking. out of my yeah. way, you filthy, smelly. She's like, Charlie, don't even look at me like that. And then he... Yeah, he... I, I went through, thanks for three months of perpetual nausea. <laughs> and in desperation, he pulls out a knife and says, if I can't have you, nobody can. And oh. then he murders her, and CM dies, and then he inherits the money. 
Yes. He inherits the money, so the prophecy was right. Yeah. And then, but he's supposed to die violently after, and we see the grave of Kathy Marnot, and a, a newspaper blows in the wind, landing on the gravestone, and it says, Charles Marnot yeah. dies in chair. Convicted murderer was pronounced dead by prison warden. Yeah, so he, so a, a, a relative died, mm-hmm. uh, and he someone dear to him. And, and then yes, he died violently. Someone near and dear to him. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. All works out. Uh, be careful what you wish for. Am I right? What a, anyone see this was coming? No. No, I, I, I didn't. deny it at all either. I did what not. A, I, like a lot of times, <laughs> twists like this are either like way too telegraphed or like yeah. need a lot of like buy-in. Yeah, I I thought this was like super. It, good. It's so <laughs> smart too because it it seeds it to yeah, you too it's where totally it's like plausible. CM, and this is the entire time Kathy's like, oh, it's Charles Marno. Yeah, and then she becomes Kathy Marno. I'm like, that's so smart because the best twists are those that you can figure out early if you're paying enough attention or you're guessing. Yeah. And this is this is one of the reasons why I I like love old comics that a lot of people talk a lot about like well new comics like they take so much more time and the old ones are so like dialogue heavy and everything but this story was in eight pages and it's pretty effective mm-hmm. it is and and like even the narration like, again we're skipping most of it but it's like as he's killing her it's like Charlie brought the gleaming knife blade down again and again Kathy's bag fell to the floor the twenty five thousand dollars spilling out blotting out the blood it's like that kind of those little things like add to like the, mm-hmm. the yeah. craziness of these scenes, um, and his just his face because it's like five <laughs> panels in a row of it zooming closer and closer on his face as she screams at him and calls him a filthy smell and he's like I love you, and just as the tears start to come out of his eyes, it's just so and terrible. Also, we haven't we haven't really specifically talked about the art. I think this art is pretty fantastic. Yes, I like it. Like it's very it's I agree. it's like I agree. it. It's still bright and colorful, yeah. but like the faces feel much more detailed than like most like Silver Age superhero comics, and like mm-hmm. I feel like it's like you could see how this company became Mad Magazine. Like you could see like the stylized takes and stuff, but a lot of the angles are exciting. You see a lot of emotion in their faces. Like mm-hmm. I am really into basically every aspect. Yeah, of Yeah, I still I always dislike like early comic coloring but it when you guys were yeah. like this is the colors they had to work with it's like oh well like, yeah a lot of do? times that was just due to limitations in like yeah. how up, how uh expensive it was to print yeah <laughs> but, I, like, I like the drafting and the figures and the people i, I love i love the gaudy colors though like, <laughs> and, and, and i think if I remember, I remember the show the show really captured that they have very mm. neon color palette for a lot of the scenes and stuff mm. so the show is trying to be very faithful to that aspect of it too mm. so we're moving on to haunt of fear number 21 so haunt of fear just just to clarify, Heart of Fear is what Tales of the Crypt was called before that name changed. Oh, okay. And, and, just, and so the show oh, uh, cool. basically merged what, what were the original three narrators. Because originally, uh, the original series had the Old Witch, the Vault Keeper, and the Crypt Keeper. Mm. And each one would tell a different story. That's and, cool. And so the show kind of merged them all into one. Uh, the Vault Keeper is the, most, the punniest, so he's the most like Ryan. The old witch is the ugliest, so she looks the most like the Crypt Keeper. <laughs> I and, thought you were going to say like Ryan. Yeah, like Ryan. <laughs> no. and, and the Crypt Keeper, like, he couldn't take his name. But he's he my favorite out of three because all he does is like, trash talk the other ones. It's, it's, his stories <laughs> suck. Mine's the best. And usually he's right. I usually prefer his stories the most. So of he is lying. Yeah. <laughs> so this is October 1953. It's still Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, Jack Davis, and Maurice Everin still. So it's th- there's a lot of in-house... Uh, <laughs> storytelling here yeah there's a awesome. there's a, so much alliterate because it mm-hmm. always begins and ends with the crypt keeper saying something and he's just like it's full of alliteration his stuff now that that mm-hmm. old hack has bored you with her sissy scream scoopings it's time for a real terror tale so creep into the crypt of terror crumbs and your host in howls the crypt keeper will curdle your blood and shiver your spine with another chiller diller from my moldy collection 
I call this eerie adventure into the nauseating Dig That Cat. <laughs> He's real gone. Dig That Cat. <laughs> That's the name of the story. And it opens, it always opens like the last one did. Uh, I think like, more, we should bring back crumbs as an insult. I'm yeah, such a fan. That, that, that's a good one. <laughs> you fat crumb. So this opens with this man, Ulrich the Undying, bowing in front of a crowd as we get to know that he's about to be lowered into, or sealed into a coffin, lowered into the grave. And uh, he's going, they're going to bury him for three hours, but there's only enough oxygen for one hour in there. And he's thinking to himself as he lays down here, and when they dig me up, they'll examine me and pronounce me dead, but I'll live again, return from the dead as I have returned from the dead before. And this is my last farewell performance. The last time I will return. The last time I can return. Yeah, so this is, this is like the framing device. Basically, it's him in his coffin talking to the audience as, mm-hmm. as he's recounting his life, leading up to this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. And I, I love this premise yep. right away. And so we go back. It sets up like this guy can come back from the dead, but there's also like a built-in limitation that like this is the final climax no matter which mm-hmm. way it goes. Mm-hmm. And that just, like, is a lot more interesting than a lot of, like, what Marvel was doing at the time, for example, like, these Tales to Astonish and stuff, where it's just, like, it's, he's a super, not a superhero, but, like, that same kind of thing where the twist is, like, oh, he can come back from the dead. Like, this has a built-in limitation right from the beginning. There's a rule to it. It's not just... Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, That's, Stanley, uh, yeah. Stanley always said radiation's like magic in the story, so if you wanted to have... Oh, my God, it is. <laughs> yeah. So we go back to... He, he starts recounting for us how he got here, and he, he was basically like a homeless drunk on the street, and a man comes by... Uh, there's also a, a lot of alliteration here. He was a drunk in a doorway, a derelict, a down-and-outer. <laughs> yeah. And this uh, man says, you want to be rich? Richer than you ever dreamed? And he's like, yeah, right here... And he eventually um, listens to him because he buys him, like, coffee and sobers him up a little. And he's like, I have learned how to cheat death, not just once, but many times. And he's like, uh, you know how cats have nine lives? Well, I figured out that there's actually a, a gland in the cat that if you put it in a human body, you could have those nine lives. That's yeah. how it works. That's nice. He's a doctor. And he's like, it's a simple <laughs> operation. Yep. And he's so... He basically is like, I don't know about this, but he eventually consents to it because his life sucks. And uh, yes. trigger warning, there's cat death here, you know, for those of us who are upset by this. I like that we didn't content warning the husband murdering his wife. People get more upset I'm joking about this. And, uh, I, I also do. So but um, so the cat's strapped next to him screaming and he's uh, strapped down. And as he passes out, again, the narration's really great. Like, I remember the sickening smell of the ether. The cat's shrill scream as I slipped into oblivion. And then waking. And so he's he wakes up, and there's a uh, dead cat next to him. <laughs> and he's like, how can I be sure this works? And the doctor pulls out a gun and says, this is certain death. And he's like, no, don't kill me. Yeah, yeah he shoots him through the chest. Yeah, he shoots him through the heart. He dies yeah. and then comes back. And he says, "There now we'll call you Ulrich the Undying. And I love that Ulrich is like... But you just used up one of his lives. He's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's like, well, well, we won't waste any more. We have to try it. So he cleans himself up, uh, Ulrich, and he's like, his first spectacle, he said to people, I'm going to jump off Niagara Falls. Uh, and everyone's like, he's without a crazy. barrel. Yeah, without a barrel. Uh, he's crazy. He's going to die. He and does. there he goes. <laughs> he jumps off. He dies. And what's interesting, too, is he. He comes back, but his bones are all broken. So I love this months. detail. Mm-hmm. This yeah. seems so much more well thought out than anything I expected. Is like he has to spend months in the hospital. Yeah. Yes. He's not just so, like I'm. I'm magically back to normal. Right. Uh, I just want to know 
what what kind of healthcare plan does he have that they could keep paying? And because like they're like, you got thirty thousand dollars in wages it, it, and admissions. It's it's people going it's a, to see him. It's a spectacle. Yeah, it, he people are pay paying him. to see this man kill himself. No, I yeah. get that he gets thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, but then like he spends all that time in the hospital. Oh, like what healthcare like, plan that, does he have that like heals him back? He, and does it doesn't it cost him thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, but thirty thousand of the in the fifties again, right? Yeah, and also <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know how much it costs for a hospital stay in the fifties. Maybe like it's maybe like a dollar a week or something. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who, who knows? How much could a banana cost? Twenty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, "You are living your third life now. You have used up two of them." Mm-hmm. And so then his next spectacle is to jump from a plane without a parachute at two thousand feet. To me, some of these it's like being buried alive as his final. I'm like, that doesn't like. Jumping off an airplane is probably one of the craziest ones he can do. Yeah. Like, no yeah. one's going to be like, wow, I can't believe we survived without oxygen for three hours when he falls, <laughs> like, 2,000 feet to the ground. That, that yeah. is fair, but it does create the good family advice where he's in the coffin, like, uh, recounting his life. Also, right? yeah. people have fallen from planes and lived. Like, that, that is true. That, that is true. Yeah. And it's a crazy, and people don't, like, people still, like, I don't know how they lived, but it has happened to people. Hmm. Um I don't know if you can. I don't know if anyone's ever gone like three hours without oxygen and lived. Um, so he, uh, Batman, yeah, he slows right. his breathing. Fuck you. Oh, uh, that, that <laughs> evil Superman from. Dark okay, guys, they don't, <laughs> this is not what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, image comics. All right. <laughs> okay, so he uh, makes sixty thousand or fifty-six thousand dollars at this jumping out of the plane thing, and the guy, the doctor, is like, "All right, here's your twenty-eight grand." And so he's thinking to himself now, I've taken a slug in my chest, I've gone over Niagara Falls, I've left from a plane, I've used up three of my nine lives, I suffer the fear and pain, but this doctor who watches takes half the dough. Mm-hmm. So I made up my mind, and this is fucking terrible, he's driving in the car and he's like, I'm going to make an investment, doc. I love this line <laughs> yeah. so much. I'm going to invest my fourth life for 100% of our partnership. I'll still have five lives left. And he literally just drives off a cliff with the doctor in the car and... As they're hitting the, the the ground, he sees as the doctor dies, him smiling at Ulrich. Yeah, yeah the doctor like, smiling at Ulrich. He's like yeah. grinning. Yeah. As, as the doctor it's, goes it's through the so windshield, good. he's smiling. And then it yeah. says, the doc died instantly. I revived. I was now in my fifth life. And he's like, I can't forget that smile. I can't get it out of my mind. Yeah. So he says, next thing I'm going to do... I'm going to be tied. Oh, this one is actually the, the most crazy to survive. <laughs> he dies himself in a sack and drops into the river for six hours with weights. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so they pick him. Here's the tough part is that uh, they take him out of the bag and he's dead. And so they send him to the morgue. Yeah, they're and, like, this guy died. So I, yeah. he failed. <laughs> yeah. <him> <laughs> and so normally, apparently, the doc would take the corpse away and wait for him to revive. But this guy so was. That's where his bills get paid. The doctor would do the doctor work. Mm. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, that, and, the thing is, he just killed his insurance <laughs> like plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so now this guy was literally about to embalm him and drain the blood from his body. Um, and so he's thinking in the coffin, that's why the doc smiled as he died. He thought they'd embalm me and I wouldn't be able to come back. So mm-hmm. what he does for the next time is he hires an attendant, uh, yes. Saxton. And he says, as soon as I'm declared dead, you have to bring me back here and put me in bed and then I'll come back. And he's like, all right. So he... Um, Gets himself uh, put, put into an electric chair for one trick, and then he gets killed after that. On TV and everything, so yep. he makes like $90,000, and as he sits on the bed counting his money, Staxton comes in seeing $90,000 and is like, give me that money. Uh, and he starts arguing with him and fighting with him, and he says, like, I struggled with him, which was a mistake, because uh, Saxton plunged the knife into my heart. And wasted my seventh life. Yeah. Mm. And so he says... 
This is the last time I can die and expect to return. This is my eighth life. When I revive, I'll be in my ninth life. Uh, That's my I, last I, life. Yeah, I, and I'm rich now thanks to that poor cat. That poor cat lying dead on the table next to me. That poor cat that died so I could have its nine. <laughs> oh, nine, my Lord. <laughs> uh, he says, no, the, the cat, it died once. It only, I only got eight lives from it. Only eight. No, no. He starts sweating. He's like, let me out of here. Let me out of here. And he starts banging on it, screaming. That's why the dog laughed. <laughs> and then we see above ground. He's been down there in over an hour, folks. His oxygen is gone by now. And one of the people says, Hey Ed, did you did you hear a scream? A faint scream? And he says, "Nah, it must have been a cat you heard, Phil." <laughs> and then the grave, the crypt keeper comes to tell us the moral of the story, basically. And that's yeah. my Yelp yarn, fiends. <laughs> Elric counted his nine lives very carefully. Trouble was, he only had eight to play with. Poor pussy used up one. When they dug up Elric at the end of the three hours, he was dead. All right, for good too. I'm not gonna go through all these puns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. But yeah. uh. That I thought was fucking great. <laughs> so did like, yeah. you guys see that one coming? I no, did I did not. I, did I not. knew he was going to die in that coffin. Like, that was very clear. But I didn't see the, like, oh, that cat's death counted. Yeah. yeah that, that turned turn logic behind it. Like yeah, that, that one is so great because it makes, like, complete sense when you get to it. You're like, ah, you know, of course that would happen. It's just that it throws so many, like, curveballs at you where it's like, because I was like, is the doctor going to come back alive too? Did he do this thing too? Yeah. But then it's like, then the doc died. And then his, like, partner murders him. And because you have so much info for each of the lives, there's a lot of things you could potentially consider when you're, like, yeah. getting close to the end. But it's just so simple and effective and makes sense but like it got me when i read it i was like whoa and i i I also really love that so many of the lives not so many but like there's enough lives that are still dead by happenstance Mm -hmm. like that just sometimes these things happen yeah yeah and like it wasn't like like he truly didn't make every life count and i found that to be like such an interesting concept of just like i had a bunch of money and this guy killed me <laughs> yeah especially because he he could have just maybe given the money and not gotten stabbed through the heart yeah. yeah okay so now we're moving on to shock suspense stories number nine from yep. march 1953 yeah so we're back we're, we're back to shock suspense stories i was actually thinking of cutting this one mm-hmm. uh and Darryl... until i told sly i was like this was my favorite one that i read now i like a lot of time, a lot of things from this era, I cannot find who wrote this, yes. but it is penciled by Albert Feldstein and inked and colored by Marie Severin. So maybe he also wrote it, but artists would put their names on stuff and writers weren't always allowed to do that. So a lot yeah. of golden age stuff. We don't know who wrote it. Oh, that's sad. But this yeah. one, this one's called carry on death. And like with a lot of stories, it opens in media res carrion, like C-A-R-R-I-O-N, not like a carry like the on birds at a, at a, yeah. on a plane. Yeah. yeah. And this one opens in the middle of the story and it's, my lips are parched and swollen and cracked. My tongue is dry and searches my mouth for moisture, but finds none. So it's this guy laying down in the middle of like a desert and he's yelling at these vultures. He's saying, come on, you lousy vultures, come down here and feast. Come down here and set me free. And that's when I was like, damn, this guy's like, yeah, somebody killed me yeah. at the start of the story. I'm like, that's interesting. So that cuts back to the beginning. He's like, I'm trying to remember how it all began. And it's this guy. He's a bank robber. That is- Wait, yeah. guys. I'm yeah. sorry. I gave the credits for the cover. This is uh, Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein again. And Reed Crandall did the art. So okay. it's the same writers as before, different artists. Cool. Okay. This guy's good. 
So th- this guy's, uh, this bank robber is trying to drive away from these cops. He has $30,000 in like a black satchel next to him. And, and there's, uh, there's a cop, there's one cop. He on held up tail. a bank and murdered a guard, so he can't really like, get stopped now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's one yeah. cop on a motorcycle chasing after him. Right behind him. And he's like pretty close. Yeah. You'll never get me, copper. I'll kill you first. And it's, he's planning to slam on the brakes as the cop is going like behind him. And this as is he the does, most uh, narration heavy story, by the way. Like yep. it's all like from his perspective as he's uh, driving the accelerator, trying to trap this cop mm-hmm. and have yep. him slam like break at the right right time to make the cop slam into his backside. Yep. So the, car, yeah. the cop slams into the car, and then you get like the narration, but the sound of metal crashing against metal, and the dull thud of flesh and bone splashing against steel never came. My car swerved, skidding onto the gravel shoulder of the road, and everything started whirling crazily as it spun over. So he crashes his car. I love how much detail they give. The sound of metal crashing against metal, the dull thud of flesh and bones flashing against steel, never yeah. came. Like they're just they're so gruesomely detailing something <laughs> that doesn't happen. It's, it's cause I, it, that helps I, build I, atmosphere. Where oh you yeah, get, like, no, this I like nauseating. It. Yeah, I I thought that's also a great touch too because so many stories like that. That's a trick that works. But if you've ever been in a car that's going fast and you try to hit the brakes really fast, you always just spin around. Like it, yeah. cars swerve when you're going that fast mm-hmm. and so like the fact that he's like this is my plan to kill the cop and he just like flies off the road you see him crashing through the windshield yeah. the next time um, he wakes up he's next to the cop the cop is on his motorcycle he's radioing in that he's like yeah i got him he's out cold wrapped up the car uh wrapped up his car but i pulled him out before i caught fire and the cop is handcuffed to the guy that's on the ground the criminal and he and, tells him, hey, come, I'll wait here for you. Here's where we are. Yeah, on the way, Over to the radio to the other cops. He's, he's, he's telling his location to the other cops while he thinks the guy's still knocked out cold, handcuffed next to him. And yep. uh, you're, you're not mentioning the most tragic thing of all. All the money has been burned. Oh, yeah, yeah. in the car, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he also, he points out, oh, by the way, bring the master cuff key. I haven't got mine. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he, he grabs him. He uh, the criminal grabs the cop. He throws him on the ground. Rolls over on top of him. Straddles him. As his free hand went for his gun and ki- and I kicked. It clattered across the concrete onto the gravel shoulder. The eyes bulged and the face turned red, then purple. And I held on. And then his body went limp. And he's just strangling him. Yeah, it's fucking terrible. Because the guy too was like, I pulled him out of the fire to save him. And then he's like, I'm just. He's like, I, yeah. I'm not going. Because he's like, yeah. I killed the guard. You're already. not taking me alive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, shit, like, very clearly. Yeah. Hot, hot take from the device of issues, boys. Guys that murder guards steal money and then murder people are bad. Yeah. <laughs> so then this guy's like, oh shit, he doesn't have the master cuff key. And so he has to pick him up and basically run into the desert because the other cops are coming right. and he has like a, so he had, he's holding the dead trooper on his back yeah and just like daryl said he's running to try to get away before they show up there's like a, a rock outcrop uh coming like in the distance that he's gonna try to run and get to before the cops get there yep and so he gets over there and he like drops down and he's, he's the the narration plays a big part in this because as it goes on you can tell this guy being in this desert like handcuffed to this dead body is a very like brutal like a uh, scenario to be stuck with yeah where he's like the, the, the body narration... i carried felt as though it weighed yeah. 500 pounds my legs were numb and my clothes were soaked in perspiration yeah the, the narration throughout the whole thing is really important to get the yeah. feel of like what it's like for him yeah. yeah and he's like i got a knife in my pocket it's the only way i gotta get free of him and then he reaches his pocket he's like oh the dirty fucker he must to clean me out while <laughs> yeah. I was unconscious. <laughs> and they even, he it's, I mean, I'm embellishing it a little, but it says like the dirty and then it's like at pound sign, question mark, XX. And even that kind of thing, like they didn't do that a lot in ye olden days of like even censored curses. Mm-hmm. 
So he looks back and it wasn't the police that were arriving. It was like it was just a woman that had driven onto the side of the road to investigate. But he's like, all right, I'm, I'm going to take this break. I'm going to still run ahead out into the desert just looking for, like, safety away from the cops. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. And so for the first night, he just keeps going. He says, I, don't sleep. I didn't sleep that first night. I carried the corpse. I kept stumbling and moving on. They'll never find me. And he's ranting to himself, like, the bloodhounds, they have nothing to smell because my car burned. So mm-hmm. if I just keep going. They can't catch me. It's the and... thing. It's like what Phil enjoys about, like, a lot of these stories is it's giving you explanations for why these things haven't yeah. happened yes. yet. That's, that, 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 I like that so much in this where I'm like, <laughs> yeah. this is such a plausible thing. Like, these, yeah. this is like this, this scenario could happen. And also, I think that the, these books, more than a lot of old comics I've read, balance the art versus narration information because Mm -hmm. like a lot of times the narration would be like this is what's happening in this panel which is unnecessary like the art is also telling the story so they'll have the the narration will serve a function of describing things that you can't see Mm -hmm. like you know things that are like off panel or things that are internal but the stuff that's actually happening in the panel is either described through dialogue or just shown artistically we don't need to be spelled everything out here Mm mm-hmm and so he gets to a point where he's like, I got to get this guy off of me. And so he reaches over and finds the cop's badge. And he's like, I'll sharpen it on a rock. And then he'll try and sever the hand with using the badge itself. Even now, he says, like, the corpse now growing rigid with rigor mortis. Like, he can't, yeah. like, he, he can't carry him. Like, yeah, and he thinks he's, he's, he's giggles when he rips the badge because he's like, yes, this is, this is my chance. Like, yeah. yeah. But then he thinks back to when, like, he was a kid and went to the stockyards to a slaughterhouse and watched him slaughter a lamb and skin it and it made him sick. And he got sick again, just like that time looking at, like, the cops. He says, as a sh- uh, in his narration, as the sharpened badge slipped the white flesh, revealing the red slimy muscles and tendons, I got sick again, just like the time so long ago. Yep. So he came and finished uh, this brutal job of cutting off a hand using just a fucking badge. I, which yeah. I think is so normal for like, yeah. most people yeah. would not be able to just do that. Yeah, and that's yeah. such a that's such a neat like divide because yeah, this guy's a murderer. He's murdered multiple people, but there's such a difference between like killing someone with a in gun. like the moment or with yeah. a gun, such a non-personal yeah. way to do it, and like now he has to sit there and chip away and he just can't do it and it makes him sick. And yeah. like that's so interesting. I think he probably still would have done it because he needed to, but in his sickness, he drops the badge. And it falls into a crevice. Yeah. Yep. And so he can't reach it, and then he notices some buzzards flying overhead. And he also mentions that while he was retching, it emptied his guts of the last drop of liquid left inside them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So then there's all these vultures flying overhead, and then they start dropping down to feast upon the body. And he's like, he's too tired. He can't go any further. My wrist bled where the handcuffs had torn my flesh. My lips were dry. Everything started spinning. I slipped to the ground. And the vultures just start eating the corpse that's next to him. (laughs) Well, not even right away. What happens first is he, like... He falls asleep. He gets somewhere. Like, he's dragging them while the birds are following them for, like, a pretty long time. Yeah. And then he's like, I gotta stay awake. They'll eat me. They'll eat me. And then he falls asleep, and he wakes up, and they're eating at the corpse. And And that's when he, like... He scares them away. And he's just trying desperately desperately to stay awake so now he has this like partially eaten cop corpse and he's like just dragging it he's not even like he's just like i gotta find a cabin the knife i'll die if i don't get free of him uh and he starts to think hey if i could my one chance might be if the buzzards eat him because they'll only eat dead flesh they can free me 
and so now we get back to our opening panel where he's laying and saying free me and you're like oh it's not kill me it's eat yeah. this guy and it's I'm smart yeah. too because in the opening panel his hands off screen uh, yeah. off yeah. panel so you don't see the handcuff next to him to see yeah. that yeah so it, it as he's laying down it's like i do not move i do not dare i don't want to scare them off again i close my eyes listening to the beating of wings as the others come down i see them tearing and squealing and fighting amongst themselves as they gorge upon the dead flesh and then he waits and listens to the sound some more. And then when he looks down, the birds are on him. And you get this panel of his oh face God. looking at this bird. And then just his open rib cage and all of his guts as the birds are feasting oh upon him. Oh, my God, them. this scene. And it says, <laughs> the corpse behind, beside me is practically stripped clean. But I feel no nausea. I feel no revulsion. Not even when I see the hulking shadow on my own chest tearing and ripping and squealing. And I feel no pain as the vice-like jaws of the raw-necked vultures close upon my flesh and peel it from my bones. I cannot move. I cannot stop them. I can only watch in silent horror as they feed upon me. I can only watch until one of them plucks my eyeballs from my skull, for I am dead. The end. Oh, it's so good. This this <laughs> yeah. literally like gave me chills, This these four panels. Yeah. It's, it reminded me of like when I used to play like old games, that like adventure games, which would kill you, actually. Until oh, yes. you're dead. Yes. They, they, yeah. I used to not be able to like look at it. Like as a kid, I I, I would get scared of. It's funny again. I'm like I don't like horror movies and TV and stuff, but games that would show me dead. Yeah. Like freaking like, out. In like brutal so ways. Bad. Yeah. Yeah. I would like run away from the screen when I was a kid, yeah. and this just brought me back there. Just having you at, like <laughs> that's, this is... that's a really good point. I was getting those feelings with it. Like I yeah. I told Sly I didn't want him to cut this. This was the only story that when I got to that panel of him being eaten, I was like, oh, like I audibly made that noise as yeah. I was reading it. The thing of like it... the thing of a lot of horror like movies like we we uh, off panel we talked about like the Friday Thirteenth series and uh and like those those franchises that go for endless sequels, and all you want to see is people just die all the time mm-hmm. the, the fear isn't like how people die like you want to see the killer win a lot, a lot of times the audience wants to see the killer win yeah not a lot, but a lot that's what the franchises like become yeah so you don't so there's not enough horror per on the the the, the death methods themselves mm-hmm. like the, the, the horror behind the behind the victims it's all about how cool it is this guy gets his head cut off it's so gory but like in those horror those horror games horror video games especially they, they go back to that old kind of horror where yeah. it's about like I don't want to die this horrible, horrific way and, and, and you, you're so much in their shoes like this guy as, as much as he's a piece of shit he's your eyes throughout this like yeah. you follow him so you kind of he's like your vehicle and then when you look down yeah, yeah. you're like that's me I'm being eaten like, <laughs> and that's that's the thing that I think impresses me the most about these is it's the pacing and the way they dole out information because like this is seven pages yes <laughs> that's really? so yeah, seven pages. God. Yeah. that's so it felt so like a whole net, like story yeah. Yeah. this is what and I was like, talking about I talk about I, I, I like I like old comics like telling getting a, your bang story. for your buck right? yes yeah. like, magic getting three stories out, out of one comic book and they're like they're like this like come on and yeah. what is it, like 12 cents or whatever? Yeah. As opposed to Heroes in Crisis or something, which is like 90 pages <laughs> of like five words of nothing. This was <laughs> 10 cents and you would get three stories like this. And like the pissing is the thing that stands out to me the most. Like I don't have nearly as much horror experience as any of you guys because like I don't watch horror movies. I don't really play a lot of games. But I just went to a uh, screening of Alien for the 40th anniversary. And like I love Ooh. Alien. I've seen it before. But like just... The pacing, like, I feel like we used to have a lot more, and I feel like we're starting to see that more with a lot of more modern horror movies, like, it's starting to come back, but, like, I think, Sly, that's a really good point about, like, how it's more, like, now it's like, we gotta see the cool kills, where, like, it used to be, like, you could just draw it out in a way that works so well, and even though this is so short, and it's only seven pages, it's still paced 
really, really well. The way they dole out information, the way they dole out the emotions leading up to the I end. feel like a big part of it is combining dread and tension together, yes. which is what always yeah. makes horror movies the best, is that you don't want to see the bad thing that's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you guys see did you guys see this coming, this twist? I did, but I think this it, one was the one that I saw coming the most. Yeah. Really? Yeah, I'm not sure I thought about him being dead at the end. Like I didn't I, with a lot of these I was so invested in like the journey I couldn't mm-hmm. think about like where's this gonna end up that's how I was doing too as I was reading it I wasn't like oh how's this gonna end that would be bad plus there was I was also like maybe you could always have the thing like a dead body getting up or something like th- that kind of like cheesy stuff I didn't see the birds going after him instead yeah. uh, it, uh, what was it uh, Daryl off panel he talked about this he compared it to this whole entire uh, series to a magic trick where the whole thing is to like a magic trick you're trying to distract the viewer while make him not see what's directly in front of them. Like mm-hmm. if you were to stop and just think about it logically, that's that's what that's what I did when the story first opened up. Because I heard, I heard this premise from the show. Because you said you say like the show episode of this is their favorite uh, episode of the series. And I heard the premise. I just thought immediately what could happen when you're in a desert, yeah. strapped body. So I, yeah. I, I so when you stop and think about it, you can you can figure it out. But what, when you're reading the story, and you're engaged in what the writer is doing with the mm-hmm. with the character running to desert, becoming desperate. Uh, it really blinds you from what what what's the only logical solution that yeah. can yeah. happen. Yeah, yeah. That's why it's not like. Uh, uh, who could figure this out type thing it's like this totally makes sense but i just wasn't think i was like i was on this guy's trip to try to survive type thing where mm. like i i couldn't think ahead because i'm just like how do i get out of this situation you know yep yeah so now we're going to my favorite story this uh, one's great dude they're all really good yeah so this is tales from the crypt uh number 21 uh, one of my favorite colors, by the way, it shows a fucking zombie perfectly. His his head is silhouetted oh, against so the fucking gross. moon. It's yeah, it's fucking great. Caved in and yeah. And so the the first story you read was Dead Right, and this story is called Dead Right as well. Uh, yeah, so that's why the- <laughs> I'm having a much harder time finding the credit for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in the, in the show, they changed this episode. They changed the name of this one to uh, Abracadaver. Um, mm. So it opens up with the Crypt Keeper saying, uh, back for more Fiendish fans, <laughs> and he's telling uh, the reader, oh, let me introduce you to our, our, our narrator for this, for this uh, story, uh, Joseph Fairbanks, and he's this, he's this older fellow, uh, uh, no, wait, Joseph Fairbanks, wait. It's Dr. Uh, yeah. Winston. Yeah, Dr. Winston. So Dr. Winston talks about how him and Joseph Fairbanks are these two older older gentlemen and they'll talk about uh, basically, basically they'll they'll be like, they were lifelong life. like lifelong friends. Like, they've been friends since med school. They're lovers, yeah. right? Yeah. No. <laughs> I I wonder because they said that they they shared everything together. They said neither of us had married, and consequently, we'd sought each other's company more and more to fill the loneliness of bachelor. Yeah, life. Like, come on. Maybe not. Maybe I just not. saw them as I just saw them as good friends. That yeah, just yeah. Were like let's grow uh, up yeah, together. Yeah, yeah, right. I hate the idea that if two men are very close to each other, they have to be gay. I really hate that. Okay, mentality. well, the thing is, when they say we use each other's company to fill the, the loneliness <laughs> left by not being You can being do mad, that with I a friend. Know. Yeah, you can do it with yeah. a friend. Like, okay. you can, yeah, like, okay. I really hate that. Ben and Robin are gay. Um, <laughs> Alf, uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson are gay. Everyone who's close uh, as a friendship. They <laughs> no, must be I don't gay. think that about those guys. I think you can't, you can't like a, a man without wanting to suck his dick. Like, that's how <laughs> it works. Like, that's how it has to work, right? So I found that, it. That, that, so this was originally point. published in Tales from the Crypt 37, uh, which I don't have a date on here, but sometime in the 50s, I'm sure. Uh, and it's still Bill Gaines and Al Feldstein, probably gay lovers, I assume, uh, penciled <laughs> by Jack Davis, and the colors are Marie Severin again. So I mean, why would they work so closely together if not, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's, clearly. But uh, so basically, they were like retired like doctors. Um, this reminded me a lot of me and Ryan. 
because <laughs> that's why that's Sly why you're is fighting so me. angry okay. at it because he's like how dare you i have no romantic and, feelings for you at all and that's why ryan's like Bro, ryan's, ryan's, I'm, I'm spreading ryan ryan's like i tell we have something together yeah. i'm like no so yeah they're ryan. these old friends that just get together just to argue semantics for no, no reason it, but it's, it's exactly it's exactly like us they have to get a massive fight every time and then, then after that they can calm down and have to talk about fun stuff that they usually talk about yeah. so what happens is they always basically uh the, the other doctor joseph fairbank um, he, always, he has a theory that when you the die, sly in this relationship. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He has a theory that when you die, you don't fully die. Basically, your mind's still alive in some respects. So you basically, uh, basically, you're alive while they carry your dead body into a coffin, bury he, it. The way the way they say it scientifically, because they're like they're trying to talk about the science of it, and he's yeah. like, yeah, cells die, but what if your your brain essentially went into a state of shock, and so the metabolism just reduced very quickly, so that it would you'd have maybe hours or maybe days what, what little oxygen left was able to like prolong the life of the the brain cells for hours yeah, yeah. right because so he's it's saying like, the body like, isn't it can't move it can't talk it can't do anything so if it has the amount of oxygen that would allow you to do those things for 10 minutes then why wouldn't it work just for the brain for hours this is yeah. why this is why I would argue I'm the I'm the, the narrator the Carl of our relationship because uh, Carl basically says you're fucking stupid Joseph this is dumb your theory's dumb you're dumb and in, and the whole time I'm just like but what if yeah 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 like I just I said this theory I'm trying to be nice and I'm just like fuck you and, and, and basically uh, so it reminds me of all the times that Sly called my theories sheer poppycock as he says yeah. on page two and Carl's basically like I'm leaving like me I'm like I'm leaving yeah. and I shall leave this minute if you persist. In continuing this ghoulish conversation, I I will quit this podcast right now. He says, <laughs> yeah. but but he he goes through a lot of this. Uh, Joseph saying like, imagine what this would be like as you they people, someone closes your eyes or puts pennies on it and you can still see, and then you feel your blood being pumped from your body as they're putting embalming fluid. In. Imagine being at your ceremony as they nailed the coffin shut, and he's like, yeah. stop, stop saying this, and he's like, just think about yourself being lowered into the ground. With dirt shoveled on top of you as you're still conscious and then only then actually dying and he's like I, that's when he's like I'm fucking leaving because this yeah. is just terrible yeah mm. and so basically um, Carl the narrator he's like uh, thinking about how to cancel this dumb argument saying I know I'll, just like, this is like me too like, <laughs> I know I'll see it right next time I'll fucking get that piece of shit I, I, got, I got the argument from right here yeah the drugstore just called he's running out of you, you yeah know? exactly yeah. this is exactly that and uh, but then when he goes to Joseph um they start. He, Joseph doesn't open the conversation for the first time. He starts talking about other stuff, and he he, he, he like, doesn't so, just talk about other stuff. He's like, "I'm bankrupt. I need a bunch of no, money." He, he says it says in the narration he first said other stuff. Yeah, oh, and he okay, he's sorry. so he's so not paying attention that uh, Carl the narrator is taking it back when he says, "Wait, what? What? You you're so focused on waiting for that argument that he gets blindsided when he says, "Wait, you're bankrupt." And, and so just says, "Yes, I need money. A great deal of money." No, but first he's but first the friend is like, "I'll gladly lend you whatever you need." And he's like, "Lend, Carl? Don't be silly. I'm taking it. Your whole fortune. You see, I've poisoned your brandy." And so he's and so he explains as Carl starts dying. Don't bother taking any emetics, Carl. The poison is a fast-acting one. You'll be dead in a moment. And he gets up, and he's like, how could you? And he falls to the ground. And his body's uh, all, like, twisted. Raggy. And, and this yeah. is why I talk about the arts. Uh, this this artist goes on to do a lot of uh, Mad Magazine. Yeah. He is, first of all, it's very caricaturized. Like, these aren't just, like... Like, we talk about how the first artists had, like, Lois Lane... 
look like Lois, like the female look like Lois Lane. This looks mm. very atypical for old school like yeah. Superman yes. uh, Asgard. Mm, yeah. They look very uh, distinguished with the characters. It actually when... reminds me a lot of the art that we saw in uh, the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina that yes. we covered a couple years ago. And mm. when he collapses, he's like a rag doll. Like it is very yeah. organic. It is not like a stiff at all in the old comic sense. Yeah. yeah. So then, um, yeah, uh, so you're gonna say something. Yeah, I was just gonna say like uh, he he goes over to him and specifically feels his pulse, and he's like, "No pulse, you're dead, Carl, stone dead." But the narrator is this whole time thinking, "I can I can feel him lift my hand. I can how could I be dead? I can see, I can feel, I can hear Joseph on the telephone, and he's on the phone calling the funeral uh, director, saying, "Hey." You got to get over here. Dr. Carl Winston just died at my house with a heart attack. And he says, and like, I'm a physician. I'll sign the death certificate. Death, death by natural causes. No one would question a surgeon's word. Ah, yeah. the undertaker is here. And, and he it, says, too, he says in front of Carl's body, poor Carl, how I used to argue about silly theories that I didn't even believe myself. But I could <laughs> never get you angry enough, could I, Carl? I could never get you so upset you dropped in. No, I had to poison you to get your money. And he's saying all this, and he's like, oh, Lord, he's saying to me, thinking I can't hear Thinking, like knowing I'm dead. Yeah. So, so Carl's thinking that as the funeral uh, director comes, and then um, Joseph starts acting like so remorseful, saying, "Oh, he's dead. I can't believe it. Uh, uh, we were getting to the argument, and I must have tested his heart too much. Now he's dead." And so yeah. then I'm his only family. We'll have a small, dignified funeral tomorrow. Yeah. So the director says, "Sure. Why waste time? I got a wick and a truck. Come on and help <laughs> me." So the two of them put him in a coffin. And he's as Carl saying, "You who are reading the story, how can you understand how I felt? How can you know the heart I crept up my rigid spine? I was dead, dead by all standards, and yet I could feel, could hear, could see things move as they lifted me and placed me into the wicker. I could see him looking down at, at me, but I couldn't blink, couldn't move an eyelid, couldn't live ever again." And, and so, I, like, look, look at his eyes. Yeah, almost like he's seeing us, huh? <laughs> yeah. And I love, I love this. They're putting the coffin in the hearse. And the friend is, like, easy now. And the Undertaker's like, he can't feel the bumps. Fuck him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, he's, uh, so we always get... Uh, so we get his narration uh, describing sensation. I could feel them get in the front, hear the engine start, feel the motion of riding to town towards the funeral parlor. I could hear the back doors open again. I could feel the wicker being lifted and carried into the cold white room. I could smell the perfume that tried to hide the formaldehyde odor. And so they, they put him on... Uh... And for some reason, The Undertaker, and when they put him on the table, he's like, you want to watch? And he's like, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and so, so they, they drain his blood, the needle goes in. Yeah, and, and, like, and The Undertaker explains it to, to the doctor, saying, this is how I drain the blood. This is how I put bottom forward. And the, yeah. the, the friend is like, hmm, that's interesting. And even though this is a weird this is a weird touch, like it might seem weird, I, I like it as it makes so much more sense why this guy is explaining this out loud to us, the narrator. I mean, to yeah. us, the audience, when there's, like, a guy there who's like, I would like to know about this. And I think I would do this. If somebody was like, you want to see size autopsy? I'd be like, yeah, okay. Especially if you're a medical <laughs> professional, maybe. Like, if you, yeah, have, you exactly. dealt with um, this kind of stuff. Yeah, having him be a surgeon, like, it, it's a little bit of a stretch, but I think it makes a lot more sense than usual mm-hmm. where he's like, I'll just loudly exposit what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah, and so the funeral undertaker says, I'll see you by the coffin. And the friend says, not too expensive now. <laughs> and so the narrator says, Joseph didn't want to see his money wasted. Not too expensive. I want to scream, <laughs> but how could I? Dead men don't scream. Though he lies stiffly listening, feeling, and crying inside. Yeah. So then they lift him. This is, that's why Sly's like, this is me. <laughs> <laughs> and he lifts him into the coffin. Yep, and so... Uh, the next day, he wait. He says, "I don't know how long I've been in there. Time is immeasurable when you're dead." Um, 
but they nailed the coffin and then we have the ceremony of the funeral and he says uh he could hear he could hear the funeral oration he could hear the pastor speaking saying it's so imparting my ad carl winston lives he died but his memory his work lives lives after him a motor the coolness of open air i was being lowered into the grave the voice Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. <laughs> the hollow boom of dirt crashed down upon the coffin lid. The horror, the screaming silent horror of it. And now the shoveling has stopped. There is laughter and voices. That's enough, says the undertaker. And then Joseph says, all right, open it up. Carl, are you convinced? Are you? And the undertaker says, open his eyes. A finger touches my eyes. The night stars twinkle down at me. Joseph's face cuts across them. You're paralyzed, Carl. You're not really dead. It's a new type of anesthetic. I put it into your brandy. Joseph grins at me. The Undertaker's beside him. We staged this, Carl. Ben and I together. You're in the garden out back of my house. It isn't morning yet. The drug will be wearing off soon. We didn't even go to the funeral parlor. I just drove you around. Then we brought you back to the house and to my office. Uh, I lent some pumps for sound effects. It's all a gag. I want to show you that my theory could be right. And you almost believed it. Didn't you, Carl? Didn't you? Fucking roasted. And the Undertaker <laughs> says, Doc, it's 530. Shouldn't he be coming out of it? It's morning now. The stars have gone, and I, this is the narrator, and I feel the sun in my face. Joseph is pleading with me, tears in his eyes. Ben Norton's face just gets paler and paler. Carl, for God's sake, Carl, <laughs> come out of it. It's a gag, Carl. Please come out of His face, his eyes are bulging out of his face. He's sweating. And the Undertaker says, oh, Lord, help us. And the narration ends with poor Joseph and his theory. He wanted so much for me to accept it. And now I have accepted it. Only he won't know he's right. Not until he goes through what I've gone through. For I am dead. I died of a heart attack just before The Undertaker came. And <laughs> actually reading through it, if you go back, yes. there's a spot where he says, I got an excruciating pain in my chest. Oh, um, and I, and I, was, I, I didn't that. get that the first time. But he, he actually had, like, what's so crazy is you, get, you go through this roller coaster where you're like, he wasn't dead. That's how he can feel. And then it's like, no, he died a long time ago. It has this- yeah, it's not that he just died. It's yeah, that he's uh, been dead the whole time. Yeah, and then it ends with the, the cryptiker saying, hey, hey, next time you meet a corpse case, be careful what you say. You might hurt his feelings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one was so great because the, it's something that you, you can't know if that happens to people. Well, like mm-hmm. like, with a, lot of, like a lot of these stories, you could just go with the cliche like, oh, a zombie comes out and kills you. Yeah. But uh, this one is more like something that could theoretically happen like you're yeah. paralyzed forced to w- go oh to your God. funeral and stuff this, like that sca- this made me terrified I, I, I like the story but for me it's like this one was a when the guy was describing to him it was like hey here's all the things you could hear if you were died but like you were still conscious mm. and then it like it kind of went through it it was one of those where the other ones like the desert one i was like i have no idea where this is going how's it gonna mm. get like this body off of him or this one i was like waiting to see at the end of it like when he was being buried and stuff it's like all right so what is it got for me here see that's actually what i liked about it because like the whole theme of it is being paralyzed and having to go through all these things he knew what Mm -hmm. was going to happen like he was sitting there just a complete observer and victim to his own circumstance and like i was i felt that dread of i'm glad i knew what was coming because that's what made it scary and like Mm -hmm. i felt like it was it was different in tone from the other twists and that's that's why i enjoyed it for me, what I thought was the best or what made me so distraught after was like the fact that they you think he's dead the whole time. So you're like, you, you kind of accept it. You're like, this sucks. He died. Yes. But then when they're like, actually, he's not dead. And you're like, 
Ah, oh, that's like they, they give you. They give you a brief. Like I was in the scene, but I was there while I'm like, where could this go? Like he's dead. Like where could the story go? How could he get revenge? Mm-hmm. How could anything happen? Then you get like, oh, I was like, yeah, you get a brief sigh of relief. But like, no, he's dead. Sorry, <laughs> yeah. that's, that, that, oh that, that, that double. He's punch. not supposed to be dead, but he is actually. Yeah. Oh my god! So that's our Halloween special. Yeah, Ooh. we've spooked you a bit this Halloween. I'm feeling spooked. I'm really spooked right now. I hope this doesn't. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> hope this is real. <laughs> Oh Hope my god, what if all thing. the dead people in history went through this? <laughs> what if what if you never die? What if you just lay there forever for all oh all god. time? Well <laughs> even as a skeleton, you're like, <laughs> I can see this. <laughs> I guess it could happen. Anything's possible, no one knows what happens after death. Uh, uh, that's why the Egyptians had those cool uh, ass like tombs, you know? Yeah, like all those rooms and stuff. Cool yeah, ass so at least you're like, this place is rad to hang out in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna drink my cat's fluids. What? Didn't they get buried with their cats? Yeah. yeah content warning, content ever. warning, cat death. <laughs> yeah, anyway. they got a lot of them did, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I think we said all our favorites and why, so we don't, I don't think we have to go through that again. Um, yeah, I mean, I like them all a lot. <laughs> yeah, I actually think the last one's my favorite. Um, hmm. I do. Because I, I, uh, me and my, you know, crazy fear of death. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, who, crazy me. But I, like, this hit, like, a, it, it struck me in a way that just, like, upset me. I, think, I, I, I also picked that because I knew specifically it's yeah, the kind of thing that, that, that filled with fear. Yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm like, this is definitely tingling Phil's thanatophobia. <laughs> and and I, I, that's why I consider carry on death because I, I figured it might be something Daryl like. But I'm like, maybe you won't. And, but then yeah, I, I, I like things where people are trapped in like a hellish situation and you're like, how would I survive if I was? Oh, this? that's why you wanted to live with us in college, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I really like the, the twist in the first one the most. I felt like the first one was the most clever for me, where yeah. it was like setting up this guy's death. And like, I do like how many times she called him a crumb. That's also good. <laughs> wow, it was really also way less like part. gruesome besides him yeah. stabbing her to death, but they don't show anything yeah. violent per se. I, yeah. They were also good though. Like I liked how diverse they all were, and like it's a, mm-hmm. this was because these all came out within like a year or two of each other, and like it really shows the diversity that EC was putting out, even in their specific genres. Like these are so much more different than like you could take sixty Superman issues from the same time, and they're all so the same. Yes. Yeah. These were all really different and really cool in their own way. So, do we have any other thoughts? I'm creeped. I'm spooked. I'm, yeah, I'm... Oh, damn, creeped and spooked are the two big ones. What else? You're too you? spooked to even say anything. Yeah, you're right. So, <laughs> if you guys want more Halloween content, Stranger Still over at uh, the Flying Machine Network always does a full October month. So, this month they've done Voodoo, Haunted Horror Film Sets, Body Farms, Satanic Panic, and a big finale that will come out on the 30th. So, you should check that out and get get lots of spooked, also, like us. Mm. And also, I this is not scary. I guess it might be scary if you find my emotions scary but i also have a new blog post up and i uh, love you ryan (laughs) (laughs) i knew it my theory is true (laughs) i i I have a new blog post up i wrote on the on go to flyingmachine.network slash blog and read my new thing about angels and airwaves first album and uh about how sad i was as a teenager That's scary. Where are you? Cool. Yeah, that's true. And on the Patreon version, you could hear a recording of my band when I was fourteen. It's not cool. Good. That's that's a good bonus. Yeah, that's worth paying money for. Yeah. So yeah, go to patreon.com/slash/flyingmachine and back us there too. 
So, we'll be back in two weeks for Bleach, right? Yeah. Of course. Uh, we gotta go. We, course. It's good. It's thematic because we're actually going to the pl- basically hell in Bleach. So. <laughs> we're basically, right. we're, we're like that guy being forced to endure his entire funeral and we have no way to stop it. Now we have to sit there. <laughs> we are being bleach. buried alive and I'm flipping the pages in front of your eyes. <laughs> you might as well read it. Also, yeah. uh, if you want to talk to us about some of your favorite horror stuff or apparently more people in our Discord want to talk to us about Bleach than any other episode we've ever done. <laughs> so, <laughs> go up the Discord. The links are in the show notes. and uh, So go there and talk to us about the stuff. But anyway, thank you for getting spooked with us at Divisive Issues. I've been a fat, disgusting, slob, smelly crumb of a man. I've been dead right twice. I've been Sly's very close bachelor friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been Madame Choke Daryl. <sighs> Stay in continuity. Ooh. Oh, spoopy. Ah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm glad I died. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm sitting here and I'm dead, but my headphones are still on, so I just have to listen <laughs> to all your puns. <laughs> I give you the incredible flying machine. <laughs>